Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Each month, me and a KeyTecher are going to interview a MedTech leader and talk to them about the critical data-driven decisions they make in their programs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, here. Two guests today. First, we have Mike Acosta from Coagusense. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. And we have Wade Schroeder from Greenlight Guru. Wade, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Uh, you're the first vendor to come on the show. This is our first kind of like three-person sort of interview uh, in my, my recollection. So um, excited for today uh, to, to tell the story about Coagusense, where you've been, where they've been, where they're going, you know, where are they now, and you know, really how Coagusense has helped, uh, has worked with Greenlight Guru um, you know, to get their ducks in a row for regulatory approval. Uh, so we'll talk, definitely talk about speed to data, maybe a little bit more efficiency uh, to, to data and what data is needed, but still, you know, great story not, nonetheless. So um, without further ado, let's, let's get into it, guys. So, uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your, your background, your, your history in med devices and, and IVD and kind of where you are today with Coagisense? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um going to date myself, but I've been doing this for over 40 years now, all right, all in biotech. So um, growing up the ranks from a lab tech all the way to the executive staff of various companies, have had my own successful consulting company for a period of time as well. So again, have worked with everything you could imagine from pharma to uh, biologics to IVDs, med devices, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that experience basically with Coagusense, I came on board as a consultant on the beginning of the company. So I have been with them uh, for the last 12, 13 years and eventually became a full-time employee at the executive level and um, really believe in the technology, the platform, uh, hence why really trying to really take this to the next level, if you will, you know, with new technology, new state-of-the-art uh, improvements, et cetera, et cetera. Awesome. So, Mike, for our audience, can you just describe the Coagusense platform? What is it used for? What are the patients? And, and you know, generally, how does, it, how does it work? Sure. So, basically, the intended use of the device, it is uh, considered an IVD, where we basically are monitoring patients who are on a, a warfarin-type uh, anticoagulation therapy. Uh, so similar to, again, diabetics, monitoring continually to assure that they're within their ranges. Extremely critical uh, for these types of patients who are on the blood thinner warfarin, uh, only to maintain within that therapeutic range, uh, obviously, to avoid throwing blood clots and obviously the uh, events that could happen from there. So the Coagsense uh, is used to do a PT-INR measurement. So tell us a little bit more about these patients, Mike. These patients have gone through some type of cardiovascular event or uh, they're required to be on anticoagulation therapy. So it uh, could be short-term, could be long-term. Um, so basically our device is intended to monitor them over the period of time that they would be on warfarin. They must be within a therapeutic range because obviously going too thin or too thick on their blood could present an adverse event to these patients. Got it. Okay, we'll definitely get into more about uh, the use environment and the, and the use case. But, Mike, that's a great overview of Coagusense. Thank you. 
Uh, over to you, Wade. So tell us a little bit about your background. Again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to be here. Um, yeah. So a little bit about my background. I'm a medical device guru here at Greenlight. Get that fun title um, from having worked in the medical device industry before coming here to Greenlight. So spent about 10 years, not quite as many as Mike, <laughs> in the medical device industry, primarily in product development. Um, started out as an electrical engineer back in the day. Uh, product development and quality. Uh, worked for a couple different medical device manufacturers. The the previous one to Greenlight was an IVD company as well. So uh, they did cholesterol testing and uh, A1C there. So yeah, been in here at Greenlight three years now. Nice. So um, tell us a little bit more about how Greenlight Guru helps companies like Mike's get their products you know, to market. Yeah, absolutely. So Greenlight is an out-of-the-box electronic quality management system built specifically for medical device companies. So we only work with medical device companies, and that's how we're able to build the solution out of the box to align with the regulations and set up medical device companies like Coagusense to be successful um, by putting all of those guardrails in place to align everything with those medical device regulations right there. So everything's in one system, Greenlight's your source of truth, everything's traceable in the format that is easy to submit to the FDA when you get to that part of your journey, you know, easy to go through audits. We, we like to say it's always audit ready in the system. So yeah, help them get to market fast and stay compliant. Oh, it sounds too easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I personally haven't used it before, but um, it certainly makes sense, right? You're building off of a known quantity, you know, in the startup world is, uh, and in, in the case of Quagusense, not necessarily a startup, it's been around for, for a while, but, um, you know, it, it's helpful to point to something that's a known good quantity and focus on the, 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 the challenges on getting to market. So, um, Mike, back to, back to you. So, you know, how did you guys decide to go with an outsourced quality management system um, versus building your own internally? I know a lot of our viewers are, are faced with this question as well. Yeah, I, we started out obviously like everybody else as a manual system. And, you know, after building, building, after 12 years, you come to a point in time where you're looking for that efficiency. You're looking for that um, speed to market, I think, as uh, Wade had commented about. It is a big challenge. And I think to the point of, I think one of you had said, if I look back and number of startups that I worked for, had I gone out the gate with this type of offering and what Greenlight Guru offers, meaning procedures, templates, all these things, you could save a tremendous amount of time getting an established quality management system. So even though for us, 12 years manual paper-based system, um, it is a large undertaking, but it's going to be well worth it when we're finally fully implemented. I think some of the keys, as even Wade said, what really drew me to Greenlight Guru after evaluating, I will say, the top three, was the fact that they are very specific to the medical device industry. They're well recognized by some of the regulatory authorities, which makes life easier for us in the audits that we will eventually be going through. So all those things combined basically led us to believe this is the best offering for us. And the last thing I'll just mention, you know, is that one of the few offerings I saw that truly had the design control aspect, which is first and foremost. I mean, obviously 
starting out with an idea, really truly getting the design control down up front will help a company all the way through the submission portion. Got it. So how long is the, the integration process? How long does that take? <laughs> it depends who you ask. <laughs> um, I would like to say, you know, three to six month time frame, but we have faced some challenges internally with resources and some changing of focus uh, in recent months, dealing with some um, issues with the regulatory submissions. So it's hard for me to say pinpoint directly that if we put in all resources into it, we probably could have been done in three to six months. But again, we've had some challenges, so a little bit longer, but again, no fault of anybody other than, again, just making sure we had the proper support. Yeah, I, I imagine, um, Wade, that you can, you know, march down the product development path in parallel with getting integrated. Is that right? Do you have like a bare bones model to get, you know, get, you know, to not get in the way of, of the project getting to market? And again, the podcast title is Speed to Data, right? So what data is most important? Sometimes it's clinical data. Sometimes it's bench data. Um, you know, so you can get going while it's being integrated. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we even have those processes built in. We call it bootstrapping to get you to where the point you need to be to submit to the FDA um, and not necessarily overburden yourself with all of those uh, things that could come after you submit. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a fully, I guess, customizable system where you can decide what aspects of it you want to work with um, at the beginning and then what you can add on later. Cool. So, Mike, um, let's talk more about the coag sense. CLIA waived, point of care use. I assume it's used in the home environment. Correct. Talk about the platform. You know, you, so you've been on the market for a while. Where where are you in development? Obviously, you're working with Greenlight Guru. You're developing the next generation. Just talk about the the current current product and where you're going. Yeah. The indications for use serve both point of care as well as patient self-testing at home. And obviously with the pandemic, um, the pandemic really pushed more focus on the patient self-testing rather than patients coming into clinic, hospitals, doctors, offices, obviously. So we're seeing that aspect of the business truly growing here in the U.S., no question. Okay. Um, as a result of that, the current uh, version that we have out in the marketplace was cleared in 2019 has done very well in both point of care as well as PST. But we also decided to develop the third generation, uh, which is a much more simpler device for the patient self-testers, especially the elderly, all right? The elderly don't care about all the bells and whistles, the connectivity, et cetera, et cetera. So we then decided to, if you will, develop this downgraded version for that marketplace specifically. Um, so that's where we are currently. We are under review with FDA. Uh, there have been a lot of challenges uh, only because of the pandemic, because of the so many different companies trying to get EUA approval for COVID tests. It has really delayed the FDA review time. And uh, we're seeing that as a big challenge and that's what we're working through right now, repeating some performance studies, et cetera. So we're hoping that we will gain clearance for this third generation, I would say, hopefully before the end of the year, if not sooner. When we talked in prepping for this interview, you mentioned 
What I think is kind of a monumental point here, um, a downgrade of functionality, which is just, you don't hear that very often, at least where I sit. You know, everyone's trying to make it stronger, faster, you know, more specific, um, you know, cheaper, <laughs> higher volumes, everything. And what I'm hearing from you is the market wants something that's simpler. Obviously, ease of use is important, but features, redu reduction in features. So, uh, Wade, quick question for you. Are you seeing that as a trend in, in your space? You know, companies that are trying to simplify their products, um, the, the features in their products to address maybe a, an, an elderly audience. Are you guys seeing that at Greenlight? Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily a trend um, specifically toward that, you know, feature set of, you know, decreasing the amount of features for the elderly, but definitely a trend toward usability um, in the sense of, you know, really looking at who is your intended user and designing it specifically for them. Definitely a trend in focusing on that more. Uh, gotcha. So, Mike, just you mentioned the connectivity functionality, like perhaps that's going to be removed. Um, I'm just picturing, like, you know, my stepfather has a, you know, uh, he's on uh, Warfarin uh, on occasion, and um, I'm sure he would. He's using some form of this test. I didn't ask him, but you know, how are you going to track these elderly patients if they're using this as a, um, as you call it, a patient self-test in home if if there's no connectivity? What we're finding is there's a a development, and they've been around for a while, but something we refer to as IDTFs, Independent Diagnostic Testing Facilities. And what's happening is those facilities are really managing these self-testers. So essentially, and again, because of the elderly, they may not necessarily have computers at home or you know, savvy with connecting into Wi-Fi or even smartphones. So the point is, is that these IDTFs are able to manage large populations of patients by the old method, call in my results whenever I test, and then basically they will help report it back to the doctor, assure that if there are any dosage changes, it gets relayed in that same fashion. Contradictory to that, though, if you think, and we were talking about trends, telehealth. Telehealth is really where a lot is a lot happening right now. And ironically, I was in this space many, many years ago, but it was premature. And now I'm seeing where telehealth is so critical, contrary to what we did with the third version, but it is still very important for our current um, version that's out in the marketplace right now. In fact, we are working with some additional uh, companies to help increase that telehealth communication, not just through Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, by, by other means as well. So, you know, what we were talking about is really serving the community, serving what we know to be the elderly to make it much easier for them. Yeah, no, this is a really interesting trend. It reminds me of, um, you know, doing some work here at Keytech in the drug delivery space where, you know, call it like a diabetes patient or something. And, and you lay out, you, you know, you're like, oh, here's their simple workflow. You know, they come up to the kitchen counter and they remove the cap and they clean and then they, you know, inject and <clears throat> they pair it with their smartphone. And look, it's straightforward. You've got it. But the reality is these, these patients are stepping up to the counter with 10, 10 drugs, <laughs> 10 different work, work streams. And so as you were describing that, I, I can see where um, if you're on a, a call like this, if you're an elderly person on telehealth and, you know, they're asking about your, you know, your, warf your warfarin, are you taking it? And, um, 
you know, what are your um, PTI and R readings? And, and they, they're just confused. Like, I thought I uploaded it to the cloud. And, you know, who am I talking? So I can see that having a simple device, multiple devices, and, and, and that kind of one line of communication v, uh, through telehealth being a more um, reliable, maybe not as scalable, but reliable way to manage remote patients. So I hadn't really thought about it that way until just now. And I think the patients have a little bit better comfort level as well. You know, like we talked about old school. You know, again, you're talking patients well over 65, 70 who are on warfarin long term and having to test, having to report the results. And I think there is a level of comfort there by continuing, you know, be able to be managed by these IDTFs or similar offices. Gotcha. You mentioned also in your response about, you know, FDA reviews and um, with COVID things being delayed. Can you just, uh, um, again, Speed to Data is the name, name of the podcast. So talk a little bit about the data that um, you have to collect now that uh, maybe you didn't in Gen 2, the one that's on the market today, but the one, you know, what do you, what do you have to collect now? What data um, to get through and get, a, get clearance? You know, with clearances with the FDA, it's, it can change every submission Every reviewer in this particular case, um, again, Gen 3 of a device that we thought would be a very simple, what we call a special submission, which means 30-day review for the 510K. Here we are pushing almost a year that this is still being under review. Okay, in my opinion, it should have been pretty much a slam dunk. Um, I believe because, again, out the gate, we were informed about the potential delays because of EUAs, COVID, etc. Um, these are the challenges you go through. So our reviewer, as we got the first set of questions from him, we responded, which we felt would be adequate, and don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden we find out he retired. So now you get pushed over to new reviewers. It's like starting the clock over again. Okay. Um, I think, again, like any product, when you have different reviewers, everybody has their own specialty and they're going to hit their hot button relative to what they want additional information. So this round, and again, talking about data, this round or this particular product has really been focusing around the statistical analysis. What used to be very simple of submitting regression, um, you know, uh, graphics, Bland Altman's, things of that sort, has now turned into a much larger scope of their expectations. So that's what we're dealing with right now, um, is really doing multiple days of testing. It's all bench testing. We don't have to be into clinicals for this particular next gen, but it's very, very time consuming. And like I said, that's where we are right now, trying to complete the five days of testing making sure that we're providing the right statistical analysis to the FDA. So obviously that data is so critical, having the expertise of statisticians to help us out to really decipher the data and present to what we believe the FDA will accept now. Yeah, just, just um, I did my homework on my statistics from, from high school and freshman year of college. Just, um, just if, if, you, if I may, um, are, you, are you at its simplest comparing two different, you know, populations or sample samples, right? You've got data from your Gen 2 and data, data from your Gen 3 using the same blood analog and proving that they're equivalent. Is that basically what you're trying to prove? That's what we went out the gate and what we have been doing is all I'm trying to do is prove that my third gen is equivalent to my second gen, right? Substantial equivalence, all right? 
FDA took this a step further now, and even though we're running controlled samples, what they want to see is also operator to operator. So that's something new that was thrown into the protocol, thrown into the requirements or request of data. And so that's what we're dealing with. I mean, we all know technique can vary slightly, you know, from different technicians. But, you know, until you really get into the nitty gritty of it, do you understand, wow, that little difference of, let's say, 0.1 can throw your percent CV off dramatically. So it's all about how do you look at the data? How do you present the data so that it is acceptable for them? Uh, hey, wait, on uh, for Greenlight Guru, do you guys have document templates and such for these sort of, uh, I guess, test reports to, to use in support of regulatory submission? Or do you kind of focus more on your process, check and review, and, and, and not really go to that level? To what level of detail does Greenlight go, go here? The templates we have um, that we provide with purchase at Greenlight is they're more encompassing all of the procedures, work instructions you need to create and set up your quality management system, more to align with 1345 and Part 820. Um, but those technical type of documentation, it, it's hard to get too specific with uh, generic templates for those since every device is so different. Um, but we provide high level at least to help help you get started so you're not starting from scratch. Awesome. Well, Mike, best of luck with uh, getting through the latest round of reviews and you know getting on the market uh, here soon. And again, just love the story of going from connected product to a disconnected product in a way. Is the connectivity functionality worth it? You know, for your distributed at home device. You know, clearly you're going from a connected device to getting rid of these bells and whistles to, whistles, to use your terminology, I guess, how are you leveraging the connectivity with your Gen 2? Because I'm sure there's clear value in it. Like, how are you guys using it? I think the connectivity is really more um, of a need for the professional, for the point of care, more so than the patient self-tester. So hence, Gen 2 will still um, maintain a PST version for those younger, I will call it, more... Uh, technology savvy patients who do enjoy the connectivity, who do enjoy all the bells and whistles. So really, I think we had to adapt or have this PT3, the offshoot, the third gen, mainly more so for the elderly patients, right? So it's adapting to the marketplace, whether, and this is obviously demographics here, you know, for the aged, this will make it a lot easier for them. For the tech savvy people, they're still going to go with the second gen, no question, because they do like all the bells and whistles. For the tech savvy and for, you know, your customers there, your customers aren't necessarily the, um, the, the patients taking the tests at home. It's their, their provider groups or whatever that, that are distributing those tests to them. Are, those, are, are your customers monitoring them at, at home just real time across hundreds of devices? I guess just talk a little bit more about how the patient self-test connected device is being used by, you know, your, your clinic customers. Yeah, I think, you know, all the patients who are using these devices are either reporting directly to their physician office, obviously, or again, these IDTFs that I mentioned, which manage several patients. Uh, they do the troubleshooting. They do all of that for these patients. So it is a wide variety, if you will, across the U.S., and again, like I said, I believe it's a growing marketplace here, even though, you know, we've seen some changes internationally by 
patients being prescribed other types of drugs that don't require monitoring. Warfarin is still very prominent here in the U.S., and I believe it will remain that way and continue to grow. So it's like we've been talking about is how do you adapt? How do you adjust to the market technology, everything that goes along with it to really continue to grow the company? Um, you know, we're working on some other assays that will be using the same platform. Um, all those things are important to us. Dealing with all the regulations, even the international front. Uh, which is always changing. So it's really just about, you know, making things more efficient and really adapting to that marketplace, if you will. Wade, for, for these international markets and other markets, um, and just in general, how is Greenlight sort of constantly revising their offering to keep things optimized in terms of like what, what really needs to be reviewed versus what might be seen as, as excess? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The The biggest thing from Greenlight side, as I mentioned, built specifically for medical device and being an out-of-the-box solution that all of our customers are you know, getting the same thing is that we're able to, since we validate it for our customers, we're able to release new versions of the software um, consistently. Right now we do it quarterly. And so we're always able to stay up to date with the newest regulations, um, you know, when new ISO versions, ISO standards come out or MDR is released, we're able to stay up to date with those. I would say internationally, the biggest thing um, with MDR is all about traceability into post-market and that we have tools built specifically for that. Um, we call it visualize. It's actually the shirt I'm wearing today, which is kind of funny, but um, you're able to see full traceability since it's all in one system one source of truth there, you can see this mind map of how everything's connected in your system. So you can understand if I change this, what could it impact um, and things like that. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. If you if you know that quarterly you're getting the latest version of what may be in the prior quarter, somebody had been audited against and was shown to be not necessary. So I'm sure Mike is reaping those benefits. He just might not know it, right? <laughs> uh. Well, and another point, I mean, and I've talk to Wade about this as well as some of his colleagues is you also have to understand that when you go through audits, the different notified bodies, the different agencies, I mean, you have different interpretations that occur over time. In fact, Wade and I talked about this relative to the corrective and preventive action module that I had four clients in a row get challenged on something that was unbeknownst to us that we're already doing it, but they wanted to see it in a specific sequence, if you will. So we had talked about that so that, again, it's ever changing out there. And I think that's the beauty with Greenlight Guru is that, okay, they'll listen. And when they can incorporate something, if they do see it as a trend or the other thing I liked about it, and not that it's fully customizable, but to Wade's point earlier is that they have certain things that you can customize so you can satisfy the future auditors, okay, by rolling in this additional step that they wanted to see. So it's so critical, not only for industry, but also for, you know, vendors, suppliers like Greenlight Guru is to keep up with the trends and the evolution as well, just to make it easier for all of us, you know, out there. And I expect that'll continue on no matter what. Yeah, Mike, use the word trends. I mean, the two things come to mind when I'm, I'm talking to both of you. The first is preventative care, prevention. You know, in 10 years, we are going to be doing blood tests to check 
via liquid biopsy um, assays whether we're at risk for cancer, you know? Um, so prevention. And then the other trend is drugs requiring monitoring. I think just sticking with cancer, we do key tech here, we do a lot of work in, in um, oncology, drug preparation, drug administration. And, um, you know, at home, you're going to want to make sure you're getting the right dosing for the right drug. And, you know, you have to administer the drug and then you have to do a blood test to make sure that, you know, your, your quality of care is you're, you're getting the right dosage, basically dose monitoring. Um, so what, what you're doing at Coagusense, Mike, I think is, you know, very similar to like, you know, diabetes care where you're monitoring, um, you know, your insulin and, and, um, uh, administering glucose as needed or monitoring your glucose and, and administering uh, insulin as needed. Um, and so I think there's a lot to be learned by this use case here at Coagusense where, you know, it's at home, it's patient-administered self-test in the COVID era, or it's point-of-care in a clinic. Um, there's going to be, I mean, I think that the use case is generally going to be the same, right? Collect blood and put it in the analyzer. But I just think that there's going to be, you know, two or three orders of magnitude more people doing this type of testing in 10 years. So what I wanted to open the floor to discuss here is what can be leveraged by what you've learned at Coagusense and Wade, what you're seeing with, um, you know, customers like Coagusense so that, you know, in 10 years, that use experience is just that much, that much better. What, what can we leverage? Wade or Mike, you talked about, you know, just staying ahead and, you know, elderly patients want simpler um, functionality and just a simpler device to interact with. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, you know, some patients want more, more functionality and more connectivity. So, you know, if it's a couple order of magnitude, more patients that are using your product, what can we learn from what you're doing now? I think the big thing, and again, uh, being in the industry for so long, uh, is the fact that trying to take more of the laboratory testing into the home testing or point of care testing, right? People don't like going into the lab, having the blood drawn, et cetera, et cetera. And I look back in my career as an example, when proteomics and genomics really started to be a hotbed, a lot of my clients back then were going from an R&D assay and wanting to get into a commercial assay. And you're talking about this large um, instrumentation equipment that was being developed and used and then trying to miniaturize it to get more into the laboratory setting. And I think now it's pushing it more to what can you do to either get a point of care or the actual testing at home. And I really believe that's going to be the continuation, the trends that we're going to see. What other assays? HbA1c that counters along with the glucose testing. That used to be large uh, equipment laboratory instrumentation. Now we're seeing that getting down to a point of care or potentially even home use at some point in time. So personally, that's where I think the trends will go as well as, I think, enhancing further the simplicity of reporting the information to your attending physicians. I, and the other way to kind of think about this, just in what you're learning now, is if two orders of magnitude more people are using your product, that's going to make the, the data you need to collect for regulatory approval that much greater too, right? Because you're going to have to account for that variability in the different use case, right? Well, I think what's most important tied to that right now is with, you know, Wade alluded to the MDR, obviously we are impacted by the IVDR, is what we call the post-market surveillance. 
I mean, that is now collecting actual use uh, data that's going on out there to really help support, you know, the company. It's a requirement. Um, so I think that's really what it's coming down to. How well can we capture that post-market data moving forward here? Because that's going to feed back in for potential improvements, uh, for increased potential risks or mitigation of risks, all those things that come to play during the development as well as the life cycle of the, of the product. Wade, what are you seeing at Greenlight with, you know, the shift towards, you know, consumer health and just larger quantities of these devices being used at home? And like I said, 10 years from now, uh, two orders of magnitude more people doing blood-based tests. Are you, what are you seeing? I think circling back to the usability, that's really, that's the biggest trend that I'm seeing is people, customers, uh, you know, companies that we work with are hitting and contacting their potential customers much earlier on and doing those uh, preliminary usability studies. Um, the, you know, trying to figure out ahead of time, how should we design this device? What is actually needed? What do they want from this? Rather than the approach of, we know what they want and our engineers are going to build it, um, actually going out there and getting that information. That that has been a big trend I've seen just in the last two years even, is just a bigger focus on that. And, and that's, that's even a business strategy almost as much as it is a, a medical device strategy. And I think that's going to drive a lot of at-home use as well. Yeah, we're seeing that as well. We're seeing we're doing more VOC studies now than we ever have. You know, global companies, you know, trying to answer the question, you know, is this product, you know, what what our potential customers want? So I agree with you. All right. Um, that was all I had on, on my end. Um, so, you know, Wade, thank you so much for coming on the show. And Mike, always a pleasure and um, great to get to know you here the last uh, couple of weeks or so. And, um, you know, all the best with Coaxense getting this Gen 3 on the market and, you know, scaling up the company like, like you've described. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here and enjoy the, the chat. No question. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Andy. That's it, everybody. Yeah, that's it, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode of MedTech Speed to Data. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a key tech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks.